What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the DRS Zone podcast. It is your host, RJ. We have a special episode this week with the Australian Grand Prix quickly coming underway with one of Australia's very own, Scott Russell. Bright and early this morning, hailing from the land down under, in Australia that is, Scott Russell works not only as an airline strategist, helping plane reach their final destinations around the world, but he also runs a successful Instagram page, Champagne and Slicks. Champagne and Slicks is a vast collection of content, including photos, videos, and blog posts that each individually and uniquely dig a little bit deeper into the history, nostalgia, and documentation that celebrates motorsports past from around the world, including rally car to even Formula One, much more and beyond. Scott, so glad to have you here today. Oh, thanks, Brett. Fantastic to be here. And yeah, really looking forward to chatting Formula One and look good on you for getting up early as well. The time zones don't exactly uh, match up too well for us, but we got there in the end after a bit of planning. So great to be here. Yeah, likewise. I felt like a kid back in yeah. elementary school learning how clocks work just because the hours yeah. are so off, you know? Totally. And, yeah. Yeah. That's always the thing for us in Australia, right? Like anywhere I've ever worked, I've worked in a lot of companies where there's a lot of phone calls overseas and the, and the US is always, for us, it's always the toughest one. And to bring it into Formula One, right? Watching the US Grand Prix is always tricky as well. It's always that sweet 3am time slots. So yeah, glad we can make it work. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I know that the time zones in Formula One is is absolutely insane. And uh, like yeah. you were mentioning there, getting up for the U.S. Grand Prix, I, I remember my first exposure to Formula One. Mm. Um, I more or less was stumbling back from a, a night out in grad school, to say yeah. the least. And, and one of the yeah. races was on. I, I honestly can't remember. I, I think it might have been Baku. And that's oh, yeah. kind of what got me hooked just before, um, you know, a little bit shortly before COVID and the unique thing I found yeah. at least during COVID was your page champagne and slicks. And yeah. in my opinion, like, you know, that was a celebration of that nineties, 2000 area, which for me, I knew zero mm. about in formula one before. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit more just kind of about, you know, your first exposure to formula one and motorsport kind of what was that like and how'd you get started? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, I guess it's probably, um, there's a bit of a hint in what you were saying there before about how my page focuses a lot on the 90s and, and sort of early 2000s. And for me, it was um, the early 90s was when I sort of first got hooked on, um, you know, motor racing and it sort of started with touring car racing in Australia. So there's every year, there's this race, the Bathurst 1000, which you, know, you may have heard of, it's this touring car race, um, 1000 kilometer touring car race around Bathurst, um, sort of a traditional Ford versus Holden rivalry. And it's a bit of a, um, I don't know, a bit of an Australian tradition that the first, um, sorry, second Sunday of October that you sort of sit in front of the TV and watch the Bathurst 1000. And I sort of grew up watching that with dad, probably my earliest memories of racing. I probably would have been, I don't know, five, six years old, sort of early 90s. And it sort of started with that. So dad was always into it. So I sort of caught the bug off him. And I think he caught it off his, his father, who was into um, racing as well. So to begin with, it was very much kind of the Australian racing scene because that's that's what you're exposed to, right? Like that's what's on mm -hmm. um, on, on TV on a Sunday Arvo. Whereas, you know, when you're five years old, you're not really staying up to 10 o'clock at night to watch Formula One. But where I sort of, yeah, I got into Formula One probably a few years after that, um, started watching the Australian Grand Prix each year. And I don't know what it was that got me hooked on that, but it was just, I don't know, like back then it seemed really, you know, the world was probably a bit less connected and it was something quite, 
exotic about, you know, staying up to 10 o'clock at night to watch these races from, I don't know, Hungary or, you know, Interlagos or wherever. So, yeah, it was really those mid, mid-90s is probably when I started to get into it. And by the late 90s, I think, yeah, by the time I was in high school, I was, yeah, Formula One nerd. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh- that's great. It's it's funny you say about talking about staying up now because now I'm just picturing little kids in America yep. with you know Netflix's Drive to Survive popularity increasing. It's like for some of these races, it's just a Sunday morning cartoon. You know, if you're up at six and seven yeah. in the morning, why not turn on F1 and kind of go from there? Yeah. So, well, yeah. that's right. But you, you know, and and you probably know more about this than me, but I can't I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that like the way people that got into Formula One when I did is probably different to how people get into Formula One now, because for me, it was just every two weeks, watch a race for two hours. Whereas I get the feeling now, particularly given Formula One's behind paywalls in a lot of markets, there's mm-hmm. probably, you know, people watching highlights on YouTube and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Do people watch? I, I don't know. Do people watch? I, I know you said you do, but do yeah. people watch two hour races? I, I don't know. I, it's, I guess the path to becoming a fan is very different these days, I suspect. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Because because even to that fact that you made, you know, you look at the 90s, 2000 era, when the internet wasn't so much a thing, you really mm-hmm. couldn't watch or rewatch a race unless there was some highlight, you know, on whatever yeah. the ESPN Australian equivalent was, or even yeah. who knows yeah. what the coverage was then. So yeah, no, that's, oh, a, mate, that's it a was, great point too. It, it was terrible. Like the coverage back then was was awful, really. It was on, um, it was on Channel 9 local channel out here and it would be i mean some of them were live some of them were delayed but you know try and do the thing you, you, i remember you know dial up internet trying to <laughs> hog mum and dad's phone line to try and download a video for the race it would take like you know three hours for some crappy like, <laughs> you know, 30 second clip i remember there's this huge crash that happened at the 1998 belgian grand prix and like anyone listening if they haven't seen it they should look it up because it's just massive like 15 cars out of 22 were caught up in this crash and I remember, yeah, I taped it because it was on quite late and the, the tape for some reason didn't work. So I missed the, I missed, you know, I didn't have the tape to watch back. And then I wanted to download this crash. And I remember the internet, like it was buffering like one second at a time and it would just cut out right before the crash. It was just, it was a really, you really had to work hard to be a fan back then. Whereas I think it's a lot easier now, which is, which is good. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point too. I guess people these days, we got it way too, way too easy, but I could appreciate the fact if, you know, especially with some of your pages highlighting that fact, because I think that was, that is incorporated in some ways to kind of the, the point of racing and everything like that. And, you know, we had chatted earlier, you were saying, you know, with the popularity of F1 these days, you know, Daniel Ricardo in the U S can't yeah. go down the street without getting, you know, a, more or less probably uh, swarmed by paparazzi or fans. Yeah. Whereas back then, maybe someone casually could, obviously. So um, yeah. it kind of comes with the time. And uh, speaking of which too, you know, um, just to kind of tell, you know, more listeners about your account, let's let's dive yeah. into that a little bit. You know, what was the um, aspiration behind creating Champagne and Slicks? Oh, look, it's, it's funny. So there's probably, there's a bit more history to it in that, when I was in high school and I was that self-confessed Formula One nerd, you know, like that age, you got a lot of spare time on your hands, right? So I, yeah. I had a website way back then and, you know, it was it was just, I liked writing and putting things up. So I did that back then. And then, you know, like, I don't know, university and work and all that stuff got in the way and I kind of, you know, dropped out of doing that sort of stuff. And a lot of the work I do, um, like I mentioned to you, I do a lot of um, 
kind of like work in the airline strategy space. And I, I spend all day mm-hmm. looking at um, spreadsheets, right? And <laughs> which is funny because I'm actually more of a creative sort of person. And I, I can do that sort of economic modeling and all that, but brain, I need to do something sort of creative. And it just champagne, just, honestly, it started with no aspiration, no plan, absolutely nothing. I was literally on holidays and <laughs> I just started putting these photos up as simple as that. And the only reason it's sort of grown into something that's starting to become big since then is, you know, got a bit of momentum and started to grow. And then um, my girlfriend, she, uh, she, she, she's, she works in social media. So she's kind of a, uh, you know, a, an expert uh, with that sort of stuff. So she kind of was able to give me some tips to oh. sort of turn it. Yeah. It's still a hobby. Like it's, you know, it's a passion project, right. But to turn it from something more than just a, a few photos. So yeah, look, it just grew from, boredom and, and wanting a creative outlet and then it's sort of grown into um, something bigger than that and um yeah it's sort of grown from there it's awesome yeah yeah and it's 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 more interesting too just as someone who kind of casually scrolled because that's i gotta imagine i don't i don't know exactly how i originally got connected with the page but i gotta imagine it's one yeah. of those you know you're on some instagram page suggested pages pops up yeah. and i was instantly i don't not Taken back might not be the right word, but just so surprised by it. Some of these photos from way back when, where it's like this doesn't even look real. Yeah, you know, it yeah. makes the it makes the '90s in some ways almost feel like 50 years ago. Or like this is an era yeah. of racing. I have zero clue of what the heck happened, but I got to find out more with it. So it's it's quite interesting. You were talking about how you know you probably stumbled upon the page from one of the others, and mm-hmm. there's quite this there's this little sort of community of these um, you know pages or or projects and. I don't know. I feel like there's a core of sort of, you know, maybe sort of 10 or 20 that I sort of probably fit into. And I think what sort of differentiates our sort of pages is try and post stuff that I try, I try to post things that people haven't seen before. So there's a lot of pages on Instagram. They'll just post pictures of, you know, here's Ayrton Senna, you know, here's grid girls, here's a crash, like photos that people have seen time and time before. And they probably get a lot of likes and a lot of mileage and, you know, they grow that way and yeah, good, good, good luck to them. That's, that's good. But I sort of try and kind of to your point, I try and put a bit more, um, you know, storytelling and, and showing what that era was like and try and yeah. put unique stuff forward. So because of that, what I want to do with the page is probably different to other pages that are purely just, you know, ranking up numbers. So I have, um, I have a website that accompanies the, the, the page, um, to be honest, there's not much on there at the moment, just a, a few sort of uh, blog articles. Um, but ideally, definitely want to move into the podcasting space or um, or YouTube or, you know, something like that because there's stories to be told, like really cool stories that I'll, I'll stumble upon things that I've not heard before. And I just think, you know, like there was a story, I don't know if you saw it, there was a post about this guy in, um, I think it was 1960 at the Monaco Grand Prix, this British guy had this massive accident, got thrown out of his car because the drivers didn't wear seatbelts back then, or many of them didn't wear seatbelts, because if they crashed and the car caught fire, they'd be incinerated. And that, you know, that yeah. happened all the time. Yeah. So yeah, Nicky Lauda, kind of, yeah. That, that, that things like that, exactly. So a lot of these guys yeah. preferred to be thrown from the car. And this guy got thrown from the car and he survived, but he was, you know, in hospital for weeks and he woke up speaking in French. He'd never learned a, he'd never learned French in his life. And it's 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 just it's just such a bizarre story and i think like you know you don't you don't need to have much interest in formula one really to find that a fascinating story so i guess i've in a roundabout way what i'm trying to say is 
the vision is to try and bring those sort of little pearls of unique moments and probably move beyond Instagram into more of a YouTube podcasting, I don't know, yeah. something like that. Um, I still watch this space, but definitely have bigger um, plans than, um, than just, just the Instagram side of it. That's just one part. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Excited to see you grow. And especially with that, I think what you were describing, and I didn't want to interrupt you there because you obviously have a lot of yeah. passion for it is, is I think your page is unique where it's, it's uh, um, you have a, you have a niche, if you will, and yeah. your niche, your niche more or less, I think with, with your posts is more of, you know, the quality, not quantity, but your uniqueness is the fact that yeah. your, your quantity of your posts daily is still pretty quality. You know, you're, more or less finding the best of the best. You're not going for the, the hot topic, you know, like uh, the, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and all the controversy around that yeah. recently or anything, anything like that. It's, it's relevant enough where you want to keep, you know, you, you want to dig a little bit deeper, but it's, it's also not too relevant where everyone's posting about it, you know, and that's the, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, 10,000 followers who are genuinely, you know, engaged and into it than, you know, 20,000 that are like, oh, there's a picture of it and sound cool. And, you know, of course, there's always an element of that. But, yeah, just trying to get something a bit bit deeper and, um, yeah, hopefully move that into something that's a bit more substantial than, um, than yeah, just an Instagram page. But, you know, time, time is always the thing, right? We're all fitting this in amongst our day jobs. And, yeah, that's the issue. You're exactly right with that. Yeah, we never have too much of it. So, um nope. To anyone out there might, who might be listening, we I sent Scott actually a, a, a few questions and some photos. So we'll eventually uh, pull those up here on the audio version. I don't know if you have them in front of you right now, Scott, but um, yeah, yep. The first photo I want to talk about. So essentially, favorite race of you know the 1990s, 2000, and you had a photo of Barrichello after winning the 2000 German Grand Prix. Um, yep. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So. Again, it comes back to that that '90s, early 2000s era, and I, I don't know. I just think kind of the era that you first get into something. That's kind of when you have I don't know maybe the best nostalgia or the best memories. But that race to me just stands out, and I, I think the reason why is when you watch when you watch Formula One, the bizarre thing about it is 90% of it is actually very predictable right so <laughs> you know how many races in the last five years have been two mercs and a red bull on the podium like i you know i don't know the number but it would be <laughs> might be 90 percent. <laughs> yeah exactly and you know that's you know sometimes there's races where they're boring as hell right like it does happen but it's kind of like fishing or soccer like the reason you watch is for those moments that just just catch you completely off guard and you're like you know what the hell this is just nuts and completely unexpected and that that 2000 german grand prix what was one of those for a number of reasons and you know i won't you know i won't give a, a lap by lap breakdown obviously but to give an example right there's in the middle of the race a guy walked on the track protesting i think he was like a disgruntled mercedes worker or something like that and you know the safety car comes out because there's this like just you know crazy guy on the side of the road right walking across the track yeah um you know michael schumacher crashed out at the first corner in at home in front of his fans which literally made back then that half the fans would go home because they're like yeah michael schumacher's out we're going home like him crashing out of the first corner was just massive yeah and um yeah so you had schumacher at the first corner and then the context of that 
the, the other context of the race is you had Rubens Barrichello, who at that point had never won a race. He was starting, I think, in 17th or 18th. A bit of luck went his way with Schumacher, you know, um, crashing out, um, that man walking on the track. Then it started raining. Just all these crazy things just came together and he was able to win the race. And I've just never seen, I wasn't particularly a fan of him as such, but I've just never seen that level of emotion from a driver. Like when you look at that photo, he's almost, he's almost out of his car while he's driving because he's just so <laughs> excited to win. And if you haven't seen the footage, look it up because, you know, he's just crying his eyes out on the podium. He's barely able to stay in the car. He's just so excited. So he had this just ridiculous series of events and then this just incredible result. So yeah, I think it was Formula One at its best in, in that era for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that too about catching up on YouTube because before we chatted the other day, I did I did look that up, but it was just the highlights. Oh, and yeah, and when cool. I, I yeah, so I see I see Schumacher crash. He was obviously visibly upset. I didn't know about all the fans leaving, but I guess I don't blame them if, if that was the move. And yeah. the funnier thing is when I was hearing the announcers briefly talk about the guy on, on the track, they essentially thought it was someone who was just had too much to drink, someone drunk yeah. wandering on the track. And to come to find out it's some disgruntled Mercedes worker is pretty funny. Yeah, something like that. I can't remember exactly, but there was something did come out later that he, he actually had stuff written on his, um, on the raincoat or whatever he's wearing. But yeah, it was just, and that, that thing about the German fans, it's just, you know, it just shows how big Michael Schumacher was. And sorry, you can probably hear my cat yelling in the background. I got to ask, is your cat named after anyone in Formula One? or, or No, he's not. No, <laughs> okay. his, name is, his name is Gary. And uh, yeah, he came, okay. came with that name from the RSPCA. But uh, oh, yeah, with that, that German that German thing, it was, it was crazy. Like he was such a superstar at the time in a way that, you know, Lewis Hamilton's famous, Daniel Ricciardo's famous, but just mm-hmm. nothing compared to Schumacher mania. And a few years after that, I, I dated a German girl for a, a couple of years and I was in Germany when they were watching, I think it was, I don't know, Monaco one year and Michael Schumacher crashed out and they literally turned the TV off. I'm like, wait a sec, I want to watch this. <laughs> but it was wow. Honest to God, they just, they just, yeah, it was at that era. It was just Schumacher or nothing. So yeah, it was a crazy race. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And the U S only back then I can imagine it's Michael Jordan has an off game or gets injured, but even that, I don't know if the average American fan would turn it off, but Hey, to each their own, but that, that proves how much of an impact he had on the sport. So that's it. Yeah. Um, let's keep scrolling here a little bit more. So we have another photo of the 2002 Australian uh, Grand Prix. Yeah. Tell, take us a little bit more of that in terms of, you know, you kind of highlighted this as one of those, again, kind of iconic photos, iconic races for you. Yeah. So, you know, this, this is one, again, um, I spoke about Barrichello and, and the emotion. And I, I think this is a similar one in that regard. So the context, the, the subcontext to that, um, that race is, you know, Minardi, they'd always been this perennial sort of back markers. They hadn't scored a point for years. Uh, there hadn't been an Australian in Formula One for years at that point. And uh, this Aussie guy called Paul Stoddart, who was a, you know, an airline sort of magnate in Europe, he cobbled together the, you know, the money to sort of buy the, the remnants of this Minardi team that was sort of up against it and um, managed to sort of salvage that team in the early 2000s. And they turned up in um, 2002, Australian Grand Prix, with um, mm-hmm. Mark Webber in the car. And, you know, the team... It basically been teetering on, on bankruptcy right so so the chance of chance of them even making that race let alone finishing the race let alone getting a result was just like a million to one yeah. so 
the novelty was just, oh, cool. It's the Australian Grand Prix and there's this Aussie guy um, in, in the race. And at the start of the race, there's this massive accident, um, probably took out, I don't know, five or six cars, including a lot of the mm-hmm. front runners. It was a race of attrition and it just ended up this Mark Webber. He was just in this unbelievable position where I think he was, he was in fifth place with, um, I don't know, like five, 10 laps to go. And Toyota mm-hmm. had just, it was his real David versus Goliath battle because Toyota had just entered Formula One and had spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was their first race. And Mika Salo, this Finnish driver, he was just, you know, honing in on this Bernardi that had almost been cobbled together with sticky tape, right? It was such a low budget, <laughs> genuine backmarker effort. And this yeah. Toyota was visibly closing in lap after lap after lap. And then he went to pass Weber and for some reason got it wrong and spun. And it was just this euphoric moment that this, you know, there's this term in Australia, Aussie battler. And it's just <laughs> someone who's done something against the odds. And it was the ultimate Aussie battler moment that this guy and this you know, crappy Minardi held off his Toyota, finished the race in fifth. The place went nuts. I think it's the only, I, I read somewhere, it was the only time they've let a driver on the podium who hadn't finished in the top three because <laughs> they wanted to give, give him a chance to sort of, you know, celebrate. And that, that's what that photo was with him with the flag and I think they got champagne and it was just million to one and it came off and it happened at home in Australia. So yeah, absolute favorite moment. Yeah, you you just describing that right there almost makes it seem like that that moment is the champagne and slicks in some way yeah. kind of incorporated really. And and I gotta yeah. ask because it's it's one of those kind of sporting, I'm sure, iconic moments you'll never forget. Do you remember where you were when you were watching that or listening or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, so I normally go to the Australian Grand Prix. I've been to probably most of them since yeah. 2007, but that was 2002, so I, I hadn't gone to the okay. race at that point. So With- I was just yeah watching. Okay. With that, with that too, because my Australian geography is awful. How far of a commute is that for you from where you are now? Oh yeah. That's so Melbourne, it'd be about um, two and a half hour flight. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a long way, but it's only cheap airfare. So it's pretty easy to get there. Yeah. That's about the same for me to go to the Miami, uh, the Miami race eventually coming up here. So, so yeah, it's cool. Yeah. 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 Definitely doable. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, you wouldn't mm-hmm. just drive down. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, that'd be that'd be one heck of a road trip. But, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're going through, and I know, like the, the for for me, I think is Formula One. A lot of these, uh, you know, it's that caramel versus caramel liveries, liveries, how, however you want to say it. You had yep. sent a photo here with what to me looks like one of the sickest, you know, whips from back in the day. You got this awesome MTV logo on the SimTech, yeah. is it called? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. W- what stands out to you this and, and why do you feel like for this one, you, you've enjoyed it so much, even as time's gone on, we get all these different designs and, and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's um, that, I mean, that photo in itself isn't a particularly, you know, memorable photo, but I just wanted to find something that just captures, uh, you know, the art that is inherent mm-hmm. in, um, in motor racing. And, and it, you know, it sounds a bit, it sounds a bit wanky in a way that this is quote um, Graham Hill, who was mm-hmm. a world champion um, back in the 60s. He said, um, the track is my canvas and the car is my pencil or something like that. And, you know, it's a bit kind of dorky sort of thing, but there's some truth in that and that there's a lot of beauty and, you know, just stunning looking cars in, in Formula mm-hmm. One. And that, um, that Simtech, that team, they lasted a year and a half. They had tragedy when their drivers died, they went bankrupt, mm-hmm. they never got anywhere. 
but it's just such an amazing looking car and it just summarizes that era when you kind of could do things on a shoestring in relative terms. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I look at it and I think for me, when I just, I just look at the design, especially, you know, you get that purple at the, the MTV logo and everything like that. I'm like, man, this thing could not look more nineties in some ways. Totally. That, you know, that all comes back to the totally. era, era again too. So we chat about a brief earlier. I got into my formula one. I, I want fandom if you will. Um, or at least had it, you know, solidified when drive to survive had come around just cause it, it yes. gives you a little more intro to the sport. And at that point, that season, I was catching more of the middle to the tail end of hadn't seen yeah. it all on Netflix's first drive to survive. Um, how do you feel if, if, if something were, or someone were to have documented in the nineties and two thousands, um, do you feel like it would be perceived as well as it was today or, or not even to that fact? Um, do I guess what I'm trying to more or less ask is, you know, do, do you think it would really have incorporated what the sport was all about even back then? It could just, cause I feel like today, when you look at, when I talk to yeah. some people who have been fans of formula one for a while, they kind of think it's, it's dramatized a little bit and everything like that. I, you know, so yeah. I'm just curious to hear what your take may or may not have been if they did have something like that back then. It's a, yeah, it's a really good question. And, and it's, it's funny. Like I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I, I haven't watched all of drive to survive and um and it's not because i don't like it or anything like that i think it's you know i've enjoyed every episode i've seen but i think probably the way i discovered formula one and how i watch it is probably different to sort of how it's portrayed in drive to survive in that you know it is mm -hmm. kind of you know super you know action and pit reactions and things like that so you do get people that are very critical of drive to survive and i'm not one of those because you know, it's just a way of packaging up entertainment, right? It's a fantastic, it's a fantastic series. If, um, had it been, I mean, the, the funny thing is, right? Like there's always been an element of that dramatization of things, right? Like even in, you know, maybe not so much in Formula One, but in the nineties, touring car racing in British, uh, sorry, British touring car racing, they'd chop it up into sort of half an hour segments and then they'd show the commentators and they'd, they'd pretty much script out what they were going to say and they'd play it back and pretend they're watching it for the first time. Right. So yeah, it's kind of not really anything new. It's just maybe they've turned it up to 11. So I think, you know, it's entertaining and I'm sure it would have been well-received. It's just obviously it would have been a different sport at the time. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I could completely see that too. I think part of it is also, I think, uh, I think the uniqueness of something like that, I, I think it would have been, um, I think it just would have been classic. Cause I think if you, when you think yeah. back to the nineties, 2000 era, part of it is kind of like that vintage effect where it's like, all right, I am watching something from the nineties. I am watching something yeah. from the two thousands. Now it's like with the cameras, you know, you can see the sweat, you know, essentially yeah. building up on someone's forehead and, and it's just a completely different type of vibe. So personally yeah. for me, as much as I like drive to survive, I think if there was a nineties version, even if it was accurate or not, part of me thinks maybe I would have liked that a little bit more just for the nostalgia, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you, know, you can you can sort of see you can look back i guess probably the closest thing you can see all the season reviews from back then obviously right and you know they're nowhere near the level of production and that but you know that 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 shows how formula one was presented back then and it's quite amazing because sometimes they'll take a race that was incredible and you'll you know they don't always do the best job at making it seem as exciting as it was so they've certainly come a long way in in, in packaging the sport up so yeah, look, I, as I said, even though I don't watch Drive to Survive religiously, I think it's fantastic for the sport. So, yeah, it, 
Yeah. And with that being said, you know, you get those just classic voices, you know, Murray Walker, Martin Brundle, um, yeah. and, and, you know, in, in the booth, in the commentary box. And, and unfortunately for me, I feel like that was an era where, you know, both of those individuals, obviously one more than another starting off, you know, back then yeah. were obviously the voice, voice of the sport. Um, you know, when you, when you hear him in the booth there, especially Murray Walker, uh, what is kind of, I guess what emotions is that elect or, or, you know, what time do you feel like it takes you back to? Oh, look, yeah. Fantastic question. And, and really topical because there's a book that's just come out. I think um, Morris Hamilton's just written a book about Murray Walker and uh, I, I just finished reading it the other day. Mm-hmm. So it's really fresh in my mind and hearing his voice, even now, especially since he's, he's passed away, um, you know, thanks to the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Like, it's it's spine tingling because it just it just takes you back to that moment and that excitement when a race would start and you know, he'd do his go 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 like it was just so exciting and yeah. it was just no commentator has ever come close and there's you know there's great commentators these days but that it was the soundtrack to you know it it, it sounds um, you know maybe a bit over the top but it was I feel like it was kind of the soundtrack to a big part of my childhood like I really associated with that era of growing up and. I think anyone who who watched at that time and hears his voice now, it just takes you straight back. It's um, I you know even now I can remember individual lines of things he said at the time because they're just so ingrained in my mind. Even though I might have only heard of them, I might have only heard them at the time and you know a couple of times since, and yet you you know I can almost recite them because they're just so ingrained, uh, etched into the mind. Yeah. And I, and I bet with that too, it's, it comes back to that point of, you know, you, you, you hear the line, you know, where the race was or, or but yeah. on top of it, you remember how old you were, you remember where you were watching or yeah. listening from. And, and it just, it, totally. it's that that's, that's the beauty of, of anything like that, especially in motorsport where you get that, you know, that's that, it's that instance, like you said, like when you're fishing, you know, you get the big hit, the fish is on the line. Yeah. This is, this is why we're here watching and, and to have the voice behind that. I, I got to imagine was definitely obviously really special because you know his voice was so iconic and for me unfortunately uh the era i grew up in you know yeah he was around but he wasn't commentating as much and and, and that's kind of a lost uh a lost thing so i am definitely uh jealous of you in that in that retrospect not to put you on a podium yeah. or anything but <laughs> no well, well yeah i mean you know i i like formula one today i i like I, you know i've always liked it but that certainly was a a special mm-hmm. time and, and very lucky to be able to grow up listening to him. Uh, who, who does the commentary in the States? So days? it's, do you get yes, we do. So we, okay. in, a, in, a, in, a, in the United States, it's, it's on ESPN, but it's still through sky sports. So yeah, we're still yeah. getting all the same commentary and everything. Same like that. Here, yeah. 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 It's yeah. just a little bit different. Cause I don't know with like the sporting packages, it's, I yeah. have the basic thing. And for me to throw in, you know, us equivalent of 70 bucks might be a lot so this year i'm probably going to get yeah. everything just just to go all full-fledged but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool yeah we get it's all the sky sports thing now and uh look the coverage is it's really like 20 hours a weekend if you really want to watch practice and all the other analysis that comes with it like the yeah i would have loved that back i mean that's that's the thing right like we're all talking about nostalgia and oh you know it was great back in the 90s and yeah it was good but you'd watch the race for two hours and then you wouldn't really hear anything else for another two weeks other than, <laughs> you know, you might go on a forum or something, but now this just, you can just indulge in it. So that stuff is so much better now. Yeah. And I feel like even nowadays too, to kind of wrap up to the, the point you had made, especially with the uh, 2000 Grand Prix where you get some guy walking across, it's like, 
Now yeah. it's like Formula One on Twitter or social media is undefeated. People have, I don't want to say way too much time, but just notice yeah. the smallest details of things that I'm just like, how do you even you know, think of that? Scott, thank you so much for being on. Um, if you're listening, definitely check out Champagne and Slicks. You know, that, that nostalgia's era is truly is, I feel like, what, what you focus on really well. And anyone that's new to Formula One, myself included, from the States, from Australia, anywhere in between, should definitely be checking out this page just to get some fresh perspectives, some fresh takes, and obviously some history on top of it. So thank you so much, Scott, for being with us. Yeah, thanks, Red. It's been a pleasure. It's been fantastic. Always keen to talk Formula One. And yeah, uh, always welcome people to check out the page. So yeah, uh, thanks, everyone.